Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Football Podcast on Ring No, no it's not what you're talking about. When has it been the Stadio Football Podcast? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> been out on the saddle for five minutes. He's lost the Oh plot. my God, goes away for four days, forgets where he is. So wayward. <laughs> like Tom Hanks in that movie with that beard. Wilson, Wilson. <laughs> okay. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Mr. Kwonga. I'm Tom Hanks. <laughs> Ryan, how are you doing? How are you doing? I'm right, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I've been cast away on holiday <laughs> for last. Been cast away on holiday for last four nights. <laughs> on the North Sea. The North Sea, yeah. Not exactly uh, drifting around on a raft made of trees. No, but by my standards, yeah, fairly cast. I know. I can't believe you left Berlin. I know, I actually went on holiday. It's unbelievable. Without doing work? I know, without doing work. It was weird. So I was in Rotterdam for four nights. It was just so weird having nothing to do. I was like, good. I don't, I don't like this. I didn't, I didn't like it at first and I got into it. You tried to check in on me on one day and I was just like, go away. Go away. Go to the house. <laughs> I'm trying to edit. Some of us <laughs> got work to do, you know. <laughs> also, like Rotterdam, for those who haven't been, the architecture is wild. Like, I was all kind of going, architects really had fun yeah. designing this city. And the final thing, I, of course, I did was I went and made a bit of a pilgrimage to Feyenoord Stadium. Did you see Dirk Cow? Uh, there was a huge, you know, it's amazing. There's huge banners outside the um, Feyenoord Stadium of players who've contributed great things to the club. There's not one of Cruyff, that would have been a step too far, but all the banners are really beautiful. And it's funny because when you walk through Feyenoord, it was like at 11 and a half, 11 kilometers round trip. So I walked all the way out to town. It's in the south of Rotterdam, the stadium. And it's interesting because it's a very diverse area. And I was amazed, like, I think almost 50% of the population of Rotterdam, I think is like foreign born. It's like a huge, oh, really? huge diverse city. And I was talking to someone at the ice cream parlor who became a friend because I was there twice, of course. Straight so. to anywhere with sweet goods. Yeah. True this enough. is like Moose's, Moose's little kind of sweet goods black book. <laughs> Shout out to Esra. She said, it's funny because um, in the south of Rotterdam, they call it the ghetto because it's so diverse and there's so many black people and Muslims. And it was like, she was like, well, to me, that's beautiful. And yeah. it was so fitting that the final stadium sits right in the kind of cradle of all of that diversity. It was really lovely. So Into yeah, that. good times. Nice. Before we get into the football, I want to shout out, well, you're involved with this. Oh, right. Oh, what's this? So the news dropped today that our good friend Callum Jacobs of the mighty Caracom magazine has a book coming out. Oh, man. On, don't act surprised. Announced, I didn't realise it's announced today. Like, I've been taken by surprise. It's coming out on Murky Books, Stormzy's imprint via Penguin. And it is called A New Formation, How Black Footballers Made the Modern Game. It's going to be out on the 3rd of June, 2021. And it includes writers such as Musa Okwonga. <laughs> Sana Qureshi some amazing writers in there we will post the link on our Twitter to go and pre-order if there is a pre-order available at that time but we'll post the info yeah, anyway yeah 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 also commissioning editor 
the one and only Lamar Lindsay Prince. That is so, I didn't realise it was being announced today. It's, it's obviously it's been bubbling for a while, but yeah, that's... Uh... Well, I got the email because obviously I'm the, you know, you can't send, you can't send the press release to the writer. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You really can't. Uh, I'm really hyped about this book. Callum has told me a lot about it and we obviously have been speaking at various points during the process and I could not be more happy to see this happening. He's the real deal. He's the real deal. He's the always, real deal, yeah, man. Yeah. All the writers are amazing. Can't wait to read it. He's, um, he's a special one, actually. And I think I was yeah, having a chat is, with another friend today uh, and he was quite distressed about all the things going on in the world at the moment. I said, look, take a step back and create the work that people cannot ignore, whether they like it or not. Create mm. the work they can't ignore. And I think this book, and Callum's work actually has been, is part of that tradition. Yeah, for you know, sure. The deep work, not the ephemeral stuff. Not that, you know, like I'm someone that writes a lot of essays, I write a lot of tweets, don't get me wrong. And that's like responding to stuff and that feels important. At the same time, I feel like we're in a moment where we have to create the work that inspires deeper, broader, more, more enduring thoughts. And Callum has always been committed to that. So I'm, I'm really proud to be part of the project associated with it, to be writing an essay for it. Can't wait. Yeah, go follow at Caricom Web on Twitter and I'm sure you'll find out more information. And just follow him anyway, because... Yeah, it's great. Very important outlet run by a very important person, I think. Onto our own admin... Stadio Outro's playlist, go search for it on Spotify. You find the playlist of all of the songs we play out on, newest at the top. Also go buy the theme music if you can, stadio.bandcamp.com. We're donating all the money. Shout out to Jessica Malone, soccer sabbatical, who wrote a great piece for our website about her relationship with women's football or women's soccer. It's called Late to the Party. Um, That's on the website, stadio.football. And, oh, I had a piece go up on The Ringer last week about Leon winning the Women's Champions League and domestic seasons arriving, which we'll talk about later in the show. Uh, that's on the ringer.com forward slash soccer. So today we're going to talk about Messi. We're going to talk about a couple of signings, Kai Havertz and Donny van der Beek. And then we will talk about the return of the domestic seasons and we'll do a little bit of Nations League. I have thoughts, Musa. <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get into it after this. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Okay, dudes. So Leo is staying. Leo is staying. He told the world 
wearing flip-flops. Did you tell the world though, because you did say this, Ray Stradamus predicted this. It was hardly <laughs> a, a, a massively impressive take. Really impressive interview. Can I shout out to Goal for getting that exclusive? I, right, I wrote a tweet about this, which was like, it reminded me of the first time Daenerys says Dracarys in Game of Thrones. <laughs> because you've been reference. waiting for the dragons to grow and you know it's coming. Right. You know it's coming. You know that, right, there are dragons there, so inevitably we're going to see some dragons breathe some fire. Two and a half seasons in, so it's what, halfway through the third season, I think they first yeah. let loose. And then you see it and you're just like, oh my God. What like, an astonishing this is reveal. kind of amazing. And I thought this messy interview was like that because he didn't say anything that was massively surprising. However, I haven't actually seen a player of that stature speak out against the president of the club that they play for whilst remaining at the club. It's unprecedented in sport, I think. I think so. They may, we may be wrong somewhere, but I think in terms of definitely in football, I think I can't ever remember anything like this. And I watched the whole interview twice, actually. Because I wanted to double check that I wasn't being biased towards Messi here. But when I watched it back again, I realised that no, actually, everything he said, I thought was pretty spot on, actually. Even to the point where he was talking about how bad his year had been. But then he was like, listen, there have been other people who have been going through this way worse than I have. His perspective was incredible. Even in in this scenario where you're, you're here and you've been surrounded by this shitstorm for 10 days, that having that awareness to be like, listen, yeah, I've been through it this year and it's not been great, but it's been nothing compared to what other people have actually had to go through with this like horrible virus. And I was just like, it's a really small thing and it might just be like lip service, but even if it is, people feel seen in moments like that, you know? And I think it, it means a hell of a lot. It's not just words. What came across was how connected to reality he actually is. Like, yeah, I don't know, I sound a bit harsh, like dragging poor Griezmann through this, but you know, Griezmann did a video about staying in Atleti. Like, do you know what I mean? That, that, that's, that's the kind of, football is a world where it's easy to be detached with large amounts of money from, from, from the real world, yeah? And that's not, not necessarily a judgment. It's just like that, you'd expect that more to be the norm. But to come out like he did and to talk about, to talk about the family stuff, that was the most devastating, I think. Mm. Like, because we don't often see footballers as parents, right? We don't really see that dynamic. That, like, you know, the whole thing of the logistics of, my kids are from Barcelona. Like they grew up here in a way that I didn't. Like, they, yeah, his wife's from Barcelona, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, like, my kids are from here. So we basically like have to, we've got to move schools. Like mm. that is like a thing that you don't even, the, the, the private lives, the personal lives of a footballer's family, like all that stuff has to be reconsidered just because the person I've been doing work for for the last few years hasn't got his act together to this point. Mm-hmm. And it was like every paragraph, every reply in its own way was devastating because what was that George Orwell quote? Like, in times universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. There's not a single thing Messi said that hasn't been said among Barcelona supporters, whether they are pro or anti-Bartomeu. Like, it's not a single thing that he said. This is what I thought was absolutely amazing, was that there wasn't a single word wasted. No. There was one thing where he's talking about it, um, and he says, I always said I wanted to end here, and I always said I wanted to stay here that I wanted a winning project and to win titles with the club, to continue expanding the legend of Barcelona at the top level. And the truth is that there has been no project or anything for a long time. A long time. They juggle and cover holes as things go by. He's been trying to leave on repeated occasions. He's been saying, I'm, he's been, this, this season, he's like, yeah, multiple times I've been like, I'm out. Like, and to, this is the thing, the context just puts it all in. 
He has laid this out. It's as devastating as if Valdano wrote it or as if it was an El Pais. Like there is no project and there has not been for a long time. I've never actually heard that articulated in that way, right? So he's doing our job as commentators better than us, but mm-hmm. he's going out onto a football pitch in front of 100,000 people almost every week, every other week. And he's delivering to that level, knowing that it's a sham. Like imagine mm-hmm. doing your day job that well, knowing that what's above you is terrible. And like, yeah, I know he's being paid a hell of a lot of money. I know that. I know that. It's not about that. It's about the performance level, knowing that the structure you're part of is fundamentally a sham and still dragging it. Kind of like me producing Stadio before we joined the ringer, to be honest. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I repeatedly told Moose I wanted to leave. He gave me his word I could go at the end of the season. And I did And it. then we joined the ringer. June 10th. You said June 10th. And I lied. I lied. <laughs> <laughs> He still had to perform. There was one thing in... (laughs) (laughs) You're trapped. You're trapped in there with me. Well, now at least I'm glad that we've got a project. (laughs) Yeah, we do have a project. Can you imagine? Ryan, the study of Twitter, Communicado Oficial, there is no no study of project and there's not been for a long time. Yeah, I'm just going to do a light. I'm just going to do a, a, what's it called? A periscope in my flip-flops and shorts. Just sat there being like, there's been no structure here and there hasn't been for a long time. He's been and juggling. Then, but the first reply would be like, hang on a minute, isn't that your job? And I'd be like, yes, it is my job. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm unhappy and I wish to leave. <laughs> uh, just, to, you know, I'd love to clarify that I am very happy. Thank you very much. And I am, you know, <laughs> I'm staying. Staying. My talents will be remaining at my desk in my apartment. <laughs> Taking my talents to South Berlin. Um, <laughs> um, right but going back to the messy thing so there was yes. there was a there was another line in there that really stood out for me there's a couple of sentences in there where he said i wanted to go because i thought about living my last years of football happily lately i've not found happiness within the club i think that assuming that because he's being paid all of this money by barcelona that he's just happy to go go along with whatever is really short-sighted and and also i think dehumanizes football footballers and it's something that we see a lot footballers are dehumanized quite a lot and i think it's i i I know that a lot of people in football are more cynical and more hard-nosed than we are and that we often side with players over executives i'm going to reiterate what i said a couple of weeks ago when we when we were talking about messi leaving in the first place i think it's borderline criminal that a board has been given this opportunity to see over a decade of the greatest player of all time and has pushed him to the point of leaving whilst having all of the tools to make this club the most dynastic men's side in history, built on one of the greatest assembled sides in history and coach sides in history at the beginning of the decade. And ultimately it's led with Messi staying but he hasn't U-turned. This is something I've seen a lot. There's been a lot written about Messi's done a U-turn. He hasn't U-turned at all. Yeah. He said, I wanted to leave. However, the only way to do that is to go to court and I'm not taking Barcelona to court. There's no U-turn, right? There's none at all. No, none, none. He wanted to leave because he was under the assumption that he could leave. And a lot of people saying, well, he should have done this or that he's got poor representation, stuff like that. No, that's different. When you are at a club like that for that long, like Paul Scholes at Manchester United just used to walk in on his own to, to re-sign. Yeah. You have a relationship you are the club captain you're the most important player in the club's history probably and you're the best player in the club's history and you're being told by that person yep it's all good we'll talk about it it's all fine kind of thing 
you're going to assume that it's okay. So I don't really buy the like, he should have done this or he should have done this kind of thing. By the sounds of it, I just think everything made a lot of sense to me, actually. Yeah, and, and I, I want to push back on something, a critique I saw was quite common and got quite a bit of traction about Messi was badly advised, he had bad lawyers, he should have done this, he should have done that. So like, hang on a minute. Being a footballer, it's not like being a corporate lawyer. It's not like being an investment manager, a hedge fund guy. It's very different, right? Like you're building a collective project, which is more than just your financial return. It's about something bigger than that, right? So to then go and say, I'm confirmed leaving whatever happens end of this season, June 10th, in the middle of everything, in the middle of the corona time, imagine also, imagine what the media would have done with that. They would in have the of, gone In the him. middle of corona, Leo Messi chooses to leave Barcelona when the club is struggling Messi wants out to get himself more money anyway. He wants a payday. The way that would have been taken and spun from a purely strategic point of view would have been horrifying. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now Messi has been criticized for his naivety and not saying, I want to leave. Screw this club, June 10th. And Messi's whole focus is on the sporting side, which is like, let's go and win this trophy. And Messi's not stupid. You see the impact that it has when a player chooses to sign for a different club mid-season. How many times has that actually worked out well? George Weah chose to go to um, AC Milan while mm -hmm. still at PSG, and look how he played in that semi-final. Look at that, you know, that strangely yeah. muted performance in the semi-final. Mario Goetze going to Bayern for Champions League final. These things have an impact on the momentum, the emotional momentum of a team. And I respect the fact that he didn't go in on June the 10th and be like, oh, I'll get my lawyers to sort it. Like, let's, let's remember, it's very, here's the thing about this, Ryan. It's very interesting. Football is a human, and they're naive when they don't do things that benefit football but they're inhuman when they do things that we don't like, like we in quotes. And I'm like, what is it? Like footballers are paid a huge amount of money because they execute a specialist skill to a very high level of proficiency. And the capitalist system rewards that because of advertising and the rest of it. They're not paid money so they can be dehumanized. Dehumanization of footballers is not the tax on their high earnings, right? Mm -hmm. We're not meant to fling stuff at them just because they earn so much. It's not how it works. If it worked that way, we'd go after every hedge fund manager, every property developer, but we don't. Yeah. It's not proportionate. This is about something else. This is about working class people, people who grew up working class who now have wealth on display. That's yep. what this is about. And I don't care what else people say because if it was about, oh, just going after rich people for money, then our world would look very different because we'd actually have taken capitalism seriously, but we don't. Mm -hmm. So people like Messi are just a funnel for all that resentment. And I, I don't want to be part of it. Never have, never will. And I, I just think if anyone hasn't checked out his statement, please do that. There's also an incredible um, Twitter account. I didn't get the name of it, sadly, but it basically did an assessment of Leo Messi's stats under Bartomeu from 2015. And Leo Messi has scored something like a third of all Barcelona's goals in the last five years. So he's been performing at an astonishing level despite all of this. How much more would Messi have produced in a happy setting? We have seen an unhappy Leo Messi the last five years and he has broken every conceivable record in football history. Yeah. That's an unhappy Messi. That's wild to think about. I personally don't see how Bartomeu survives this now. And it's not a victory for Bartomeu. Okay, so I, I kind of flippantly tweeted about it, saying part of me thinks this is just a power move to kind of oust Bartomeu and that Messi won't go at all. The thing that I did find interesting was that his announcement or the noises coming out that he was about to announce that he was going to stay came, as, came the same day or within an hour or two of story dropping that Spanish authorities felt they had enough evidence to investigate Bartomeu on allegations of corruption. And part of me was just like, did Messi send another bureau fax? What did he say? Uh, uh, 
What did he have? <laughs> the world's greatest sporting snitch. Yeah. And, and actually it's like, it's like the end. It's like the, uh, is anyone, uh, is it going to be a spoiler if I talk about the final episode of Succession? It's like the, I won't say I have, what happens, have, but it's I like, haven't seen Succession. It's like the final episode of season two of Succession, basically. But I, I, I don't think really anyone wins here. I'm trying to figure out how it goes forward because a lot of Barcelona fans felt that he had the right to leave and had the right to be happy. And it's actually kind of weird now because he's staying. So there's this weird kind of like, oh, we wanted him to be happy, but now he's still here, which is kind of great, but he's not actually really happy here. So what the hell is going on? The long and the short of it is that Barca have a year to get this right now. Yeah. Well, really they have a few months because Messi can talk to other clubs in January. But if, and this is a huge if, if there's the potential of a new regime coming in or a new president, I'm not sure what's going to happen with the elections. But I cannot see how Bartomeu survives this. I just can't at all. If they do bring in a couple of extra pieces, Barca, they're going to be still quite useful. This is the thing. Like We've said this on the podcast. Like, not it much doesn't, the whole, you don't need to burn the whole thing down. I saw people comparing, because there's a lot of like, disrespect about Wijnaldum going to Barcelona. And I'm like, oh, Wijnaldum is absolutely brilliant and is exactly who you need in that mid. I think it'd be a brilliant it, signing. Incredible absolutely signing. Absolutely brilliant signing for Barcelona. If you have Wijnaldum in the same team as Messi and you get someone like Depay in, which is, you know, a challenge. But yeah, a midfield, well, a, a, midf- a midfield of Pjanic, Frankie de Jong and Wijnaldum. God, I forgot Pjanic was coming in. You can do something with that. I mean, yeah, it's not, I mean, yeah, you'd have, to rely on, you'd have to rely on Frankie being the most defensively minded out of those three. But you can so, do something with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, there's, there's something going on there. Like, that's, I think what Barcelona really needs to focus on is to reduce the wage bill. That's their issue. Mm, it's brutal. They're going to have to take a hit on some signings. You know, they're going to have to probably offload. I mean, to be honest, I would just, if I was someone at Barcelona now, I would be working hard to get Griezmann off the books. Hard. I think more so than the Coutinho signing, I think the Griezmann signing was so problematic for Barcelona because he walked into that dressing room a year after they thought he was going to arrive and he fucked them about. And I don't think a lot of people appreciated that. And also it resulted in Coutinho going out on loan, who I think Suarez and Messi kind of like. He's also come back looking like he's been hanging out with Goretzka. Yeah, do you know what? Coutinho returning, that's a really strong piece to come back. Yeah, I think yeah, it is. And really I, This is the thing with Messi. I think that obviously a lot of people say, oh, he just wants his mates there. He wants Suarez there and all this kind of stuff. But I think if someone sat him down and said to him, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. There's a plan here to get you winning again. He's not going to moan. He's not going to complain if Busquets goes or if, or if Suarez goes or if Griezmann goes. If he can see that there's a plan. Sounds like he's um, been desperate for that conversation for the last five years. Like sit down, this is where it's going to go. Like that that amazing moment when um, Pep goes and says, Leo, there's this position, the false nine. Let's try it. And they go and just destroy Real 6-2. Like he must look back at stuff like that. And here's the thing about Messi, right? Despite everything, it's also remarkable. He didn't say, he didn't name names. He didn't name any names. He did not name a single player. Oh. He didn't. He not throw a single player, present or past, under the bus. What was powerful about that was it became a kind of. It was a systemic critique rather than an individual one. Because mm. if you don't mention people, if you leave people out, then everyone's like, okay, he doesn't mean me. But he indicted everyone, and it's really interesting because, you know, you look now at that team with fresh eyes and you think what he must have thought of, like maybe managerial appointments, 
what he must have thought of the commitment of some of his fellow players and their desire to win, people who were coasting and he didn't say, and he is in a position to drop all of those people in it and did none of it. That was and quite also, And also what I think is, I think this highlights how quiet a lot of that squad have been. They're, yeah. very, they're very quick to give it to Leo on the pitch and let him take care of it. And they're also very, very quick to do that off it. PK and Bushkets, they should not have been shutting up this year. I just think the thing about PK, just to come to that very quickly, is it's interesting because you know for a fact that he's been outspoken about that in a certain context. Mm. So you know that PK has had vigorous conversations about this for months, for years. I just wonder, given like his family background, if he feels, I don't know if he's compromised even more outspoken because he's not shy of talking. He's not shy of speaking. If there is not a WhatsApp group. Of course there's one. Suarez's brother coming going, oh yeah, there's more to come out. You said on the podcast, Messi needs to stay to save Barcelona. Yeah. They've, like I said before, they've got a season. Yeah, I agree. They've got a season to fix it. If, he, if Kuman's smart, he won't have a problem with Messi. Like, he shouldn't. Oh. He shouldn't. Just let, let, let him go in and play. Like, he's not the problem. Like, I, don't, I worry, and I don't want this to be the case. I hope Kuman doesn't feel he has to, like, prove himself by being a tough guy. Because with Fabio Capello, we had that, didn't we? Fabio Capello came and got the England job, and there was this kind of sense of, he'll be the disciplinarian. and he went in hard, and it didn't work because mm. England didn't need that. And the sad yeah. thing is we know that Capello can coach. We've seen Capello mollify his harder edges to deal with more kind of maverick talents like Savicevic. Oh, drink. Ha 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 The drinking game. So like oh, wow. a manager doesn't have to come in and be hardline just to prove a point. Actually, the best thing Kuman could do at this point is be like, I've got a lot of very good pieces here. I know what the Barca tradition is. I know what the style of football is. I know what we won doing. I played under Cruyff doing this a certain way. This is my chance to play the way that we, that we won. Like we won a European Cup playing this style. It wasn't broke, let's not fix it. You know, I'm very much in the Cruyff camp, which continued to the Pep camp, but you've got to come with a third act. Yeah. That needs to be tweaked because the game has moved. Yeah. You can take the principles, but you need to update it. Mm. You know, because otherwise you're just, you know, you're just repressing a tune that's been out already a load of times. And it's, take those principles, look at how the game has moved and adapt with the greatest player of all time still there. Like, I don't want to sound angry here, but like, you are the envy of world football in a way that you've had the greatest player of all time for his entire career. And you pushed him to request to leave. That is criminal. No matter what happens now, he will always be the president who pushed Messi away. They want always. to be beloved though. They want to be, this is the thing. I think we said this before, but suits want to be players. They want to be beloved, some of them. Yeah. Like, Do you know how the best way to be beloved is? Give the people who are actually going to make the success happen the tools to do so. That's how you become successful. Look That's how, how beloved, you become beloved. Yeah, rail president, Lorenzo Sanz, rest in peace, died in I think late 70s of COVID. He was beloved because he gave, he enabled that. Mm -hmm. He enabled Madrid. Yeah. Like he allowed, he built something. And that's the thing. Like if you build something, it's the insecurity of not being the most important person in the club. And it's okay. Like just be part of the infrastructure. Like yeah. at the end of the day, you're building a cathedral. Yep. And your reward is people go, oh my God, look at that beautiful cathedral. That's your reward. And it's funny because you've got Frankie de Jong actually. He restored one great cathedral to greatness. Ajax, and now he's here to restore 
Barca. And it's mm. weird, like, <laughs> I mean, said, like I love you know I love Frankie, but love you know Frankie. he was only there for a few years. He came from Willem's vice, so it's like <laughs> yeah. Let, let me have my let me have my let, let a poet let a poet have his narrative. Let a poet have his narrative. Um, but no, I just slightly joking aside. Um, if this is seen as an exciting moment for Barcelona, if it's seen as an exciting moment the next few months to actually undo a lot of the damage that was done, not only against Bayern but in the league then they can really do something interesting. It just, it just needs really, really fast action. It needs a couple of good results and people will get more behind the players. And if that happens, this is the key. The key now is to go get a couple of good pieces in the transfer win if they can and deliver solid results the first couple of months because that ups the pressure on Bartomeu. Yeah, I weirdly, yeah. I weirdly actually think that this, one of the major things that this interview will do is actually shift support back towards the players. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I was seeing like quite, a, quite a few big Barcelona accounts on Twitter or influential ones were going, I'm actually ashamed to have these fans associated with the club because Messi is far more of a Barcelona fan than so many of them. Like he's a huge Barcelona fan. And I saw that from a few different people. It was quite, it was said with a lot of feeling. And I thought to myself, like, and listen, Messi has been no angel. If we talk about criminal acts, like the man, you know, he had tax issues. So let's not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, no. but in, in relation to, yeah, exactly. The man had tax issues and actually you can argue the club had his back or people the club had his back on that. So he is aware of how the club has helped him through situations of his own making. At the same time, this, right? At the same time, this. In terms of his passion for the club, that is not a thing you can fake. Mm. You can't fake that. You listen, you know, you saw him in the, the end of that classico holding a shirt up with his name on the back. You hear him in this interview, you're like, this person loves Barcelona. And you need as many people like that in the organization as possible. And it's sad actually for Luis Suarez, someone I've been critical of in the past for different reasons, but Suarez, you know, there is someone leaving and Suarez, it's time for him to go because, you know, frankly, his body is just beat up at this point and he's given all he can physically. I, I believe that. Suarez is someone that loved Barcelona. And I think he's also done an amazing job there. Yeah, he, a, a remarkable job, as, as has Ivan Rakitic. Yep. 100%. Shout out to Rakitic. That guy, Rakitic came in. People forget how difficult that was to come in at that point. And he was in the absolutely integral into that, in that 2015 treble. Incredible absolutely season. integral. Incredible you, season. You're coming in at a point where it's the end of the great trio, the Iniesta, Javi, Busquets trio. And this is a wild comparison, but you know I'm an Arsenal fan. So when Giroud arrived, when Van Persie left for Manchester United, Giroud's biggest crime was that he just wasn't Robbie Van Persie. And Ivan Rakitic's biggest crime was that he just wasn't Javi Hernandez. That's literally it. It's unforgivable. You're right. The sin of not being Javi. I mean, I just, that guy has underrated the way that he left is sad. And I, I think he's underrated, yeah. Yeah, of course he is. Of course he is. But the players knew. Those, yeah. I just hope there's a point a few years from now when those players or a large number of the treble winning side, the ones who haven't fallen out with each other, can just sit down and reflect on that season and be like, mm. we did a really beautiful thing. Mm. Let's take a break. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
Okay, we're back from the break. Um, before we move on to other stuff, did you see there was a tweet going around? I think it was from someone like Sport Bible or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Which was just, uh, right, let's hear it. Who's the most overrated player of all time? <laughs> yeah, you steered well clear of that. I did as well. I have my thoughts. Well, I, I have. I thoughts. quote tweeted it just saying, if I speak, I'm in big trouble. Yeah, we are both in big trouble. But we know, I, I've got my thoughts in my heart. And it was really funny that actually, I think it was more fun doing that than actually telling people who I thought. Yeah, because people are intrigued. Well, Dick, here's my thing about, I'm not going to name names. No, I'm not either. But no. my, I would say my, my overrated player or players are people who I think hide in plain sight. So they go to big clubs. So basically for me, an overrated player is someone who goes to a big club and it's just kind of there. And they're never, ever like the main person. They always seem to manage responsibility. They get their checks, they get their money. It's all good. But they never quite, they never quite push themselves. And here's the thing, I'm not like, I'm not really hating because we've all been that person. We've all maybe been a little bit of a catfish in our lives, right? I said this before, like we've all, we do. We, 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 we've all, this whole, have, this whole, dude, this whole podcast is a catfish. <laughs> yeah. So we come, we don't come with clean hands to this. We've all, you know, we, we have catfish energy in ourselves. Oh, we, it takes one to know one, yeah, all that yeah, kind we, of stuff. We've all been in a situation where we kind of gave 70%, we kind of mailed it in, right? And there's a lot of footballers who do that and still maintain like, very high level of performance, but you can just tell there's something around the edges. And those to me are the overrated ones. Oh, really? Yeah. They really interest me. I, I'm fascinated by them because I actually, I find them very relatable. <laughs> <laughs> there were two really great replies to this where uh, one from Secret Marquette who just wrote, there is no such thing as an underrated English player, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what actually... That is actually, that is, you know, that, that's incredible. That's actually true. There's a thesis in that. There is a thesis in that. Yeah. The other one was from Justin Bryant, who just said the commonality of every name that gets mentioned in an overrated thread is that they were all brilliant. Also true. That's interesting. Yeah. I think it's totally true. Because loads of people were just like Harry Kane, Steven Gerrard. And I was just like, someone was like Zidane. Uh, <laughs> Vish wrote in <laughs> Pele. <laughs> Oh my God. I was like, what? The funny thing with Pelly though, that I think we mentioned this before on the podcast, but there's a little bit of resentment around the way that Pelly was treated his fellow, yeah, his teammates. Yeah, the, the yeah we mentioned it on an episode. I think we talked about this. Yeah, yeah. Was it a superhero one? Maybe it was or that. super villain one. I oh, know, because yeah. we left him out of the superhero one and caught a load of flack for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm taking that to the grave. Yeah, I'm taking mine to I don't the grave. need that smoke. Loads of people are like, oh, go on, do it. And I was like, it's a Sunday evening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be like Red in Shawshank Redemption. I'm going to leave my name of my most overrated player under a rock in the woods somewhere, like towards the end of my life. And then someone will discover it and be like, oh, we found it. The stadium, man, we found it. I'm, I'm going to put it in my will. I'm going to put it in my will. I'm going to be like, there's an envelope <laughs> in the cupboard. <laughs> here's, my, here's my password please log into my Twitter account and just tweet it for me. That's And amazing. then I'm gone. That's I'm gone. out. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. Ryan has left the building. And then some, your final tweet will be one of the ones that you can't reply to. Like, exactly. Looked- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, guys, you can, you can argue and tell me I'm a fraud, but I'm dead. He's so gone. I'm, like, I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, who's the real winner? That's incredible. 
<laughs> oh my god the end of my life I'm just going to tweet out like 20 hot takes all the things I'm saving up <laughs> the hottest <laughs> the hotter takes all of them my food takes my film takes my music everything that was this and that was that and I never told you but I thought this I'm just going to tweet out 20 just the most the most nuclear takes and then also, I'm gone. it's like the final one like working with Ryan is a nightmare yes I'm out <laughs> I'm out <laughs> that, that's actually a really great final tweet just like out I'm full out, stop out is that like, like dead out <laughs> oh dear um, let's move on to a couple of I want to talk a little bit about transfers because we didn't really cover yep, well yep. we've mentioned it before well when the rumours were circulating about Kai Havertz going to Chelsea it's done he's there he's a yep, Chelsea yep. player 71 million pounds for Chelsea plus add-ons that is great value. I think that's a really good, that's really great, good transfer. That's a generational talent. I mean, at the time, I mean, yeah, Kai is Kai is a an unbelievable player, and we said at the time that we didn't re- we didn't like the fit. And if I'm being brutally honest, I still don't love the fit. But we also said at the time, it's Kai Havertz. You go get him. Do you know how it feels to me? It feels. I feel the Kai Havertz signature feels oddly like the Eden Hazard one when he went from Lille to Chelsea. And I'm like, in the same, in the sense that, not because they're the same type of player at all, they're very different. No, no, but in the sense that's that a really good shout out. Uncontested nature. Like when you look at a player like that and you're like, a player of that quality goes in the market and the relative uncontested nature of his signing was wild to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the same thing happened with Pulisic though. So bizarre. These players are unreal. And I'm like, Unless they all just, unless they only, they only want to sign for Chelsea. No, I don't agree. I think, Ryan, something's happening. I'm like, what witchcraft? And it's that Marina Granovskaya, I don't know what, there's blood magic being conducted at Chelsea, but they have this ability to make their transfers invisible to the rest of Europe. Eden Hazard was so obviously a generational talent. He, went he tweeted there. it, do you remember? I mean, my goodness. He said, I'm going to the, I will go, I will be playing for the European champions. And he knew it, he knew it. And, and he, Hazard went there, um... I mean, Pulisic going, I mean, Pulisic is, he's, Pulisic is out of this world, out of this world. And Chelsea have picked up these gems. And the thing is, they're such good players, they'll make it work. This is the thing. This is the beauty of the signing of someone like Havertz. Like, good players make awkward fits easy. Like, you yeah. could argue, I'm not comparing, I'm going to breathe before saying the next word because Uh-oh. I can't mention the same breath. Where are you going? When Zidane went to Real, there was no natural place for him, right? There was no yeah. natural fit. But then what did he do? They got Roberto Carlos to go right up on the left and they played Zidane as this kind of amorphous floating inside left and it worked a treat. And it took about six months for the team to reconfigure around him. Mm. And then it was a dream. And I think that the signing of Harris is quite interesting because we talk a lot about football formations and shape, but sometimes you can have slightly lopsided formations where things don't have a fully, they don't have a rigid fit to them. Yeah. But they just kind of work because the players are so good and so fluid. And Havertz is such a fluid player that he's so tactically intelligent already. I mean, this is the thing. It's the classic thing of, I don't think people fully realise what they've acquired there. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, when you see Havertz play in the flesh, he's always in space. To the point where I think actually he kind of doesn't know what to do because he is in so much space all the time. He is that naturally gifted at finding space. It's like, so, it's an intuition. He's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I made a real point of going to what, of like watching him for the first half hour or so when they played, when Leverkusen played in Berlin, mm. the, ghost, the, the, the ghost game I went to. And 
I couldn't believe how often he was just in space. It was like people just were just ignoring him almost. It was, he was in that much space all the time, which is mentally exhausting. I it's think really he's been in that yeah. much space all the time. Well, that's the thing. I think he's, you know, I've seen him obviously like yourself played out and out. I think that's not right. I think he needs to be a bit deeper. And there was a, if you look at the Germany, um, we'll get to this maybe in a sec, but we'll just, just, just skipping slightly at the Germany against Spain in the Nations League, going for Nations League. What was fascinating about the formation they set up in, and I, I tweeted this, it was perfect for Thomas Muller because you had those two, the front two, Sané and Werner, mm. and the underrated attribute of a front two is a front two that doesn't get in each other's way. Normally yeah. when, you have, when you, normally you have a front two that does not get in each other's way, they're normally one place behind the other, but actually Werner and Sané are unusual because they're a front two that play parallel to each other, but they split and they take the flanks, which is amazing for an on-rushing player like a Muller or a Havertz. Mm-hmm. So, so for, and this is the thing about Germany, they haven't won in the UEFA Nations League yet, but I actually really like what they're doing with this new look. I really like the Werner Sané and then the, the guy in the pocket behind, who I think in the long term should be and will be Havertz. Havertz breaking between two really, really fast wide forwards who create chaos is a really exciting configuration. And I wonder if we see something similar. Um, similar at Chelsea, maybe. I wonder. Yeah, I mean, if you think that there were two other Chelsea players in that starting eleven, with Antonio Rudiger and Timo Werner, who played Spain. Yeah. And they played a back three. And I think the difference on that game is that you would probably have Harvards instead of Julian Draxler. And as... I mean, there, there's a big gap there in terms of ability. I yeah, there is, I, there is. You know, I, I like Julian Draxler. I think he's had a very strange career and probably not made the best decisions transfer-wise, but, you know, he's, not, he's, he's no slouch. No, no. I think that was a good glimpse at how Chelsea could line up this season because they've got a bit of figuring out to do. Definitely. You know, it's a, it's yeah. a really great problem, obviously. But they do have a bit of figuring out to do, Chelsea. Yeah, like the attacking systems, like the complex. They have outstanding attackers. It's making that um, a cohesive unit because, you know, like Solskjaer has done a really good job at United, right? Mm. He has done a really good job. The challenge that Solskjaer has is how to play against deep line defences. Yeah. He's worked out to make them combine on the break. That's beautiful. That's great because Rashford carrying the ball can carry the ball for 60, 70 yards at high speed. That's great, right? When the field is broken. But to break down defences, this, this will be a test for Lampard. And also Lampard has played he loves the traditional centre-forward, right? It's not. Mm. I think it's great. I think there's a value in that. I think there's an underrated value in a traditional nine, and it's hard to play that role, right? And mm-hmm. it's, you might say it's a kind of, it's not a dying art, but it's something which goes in and out of focus because very few people can cope with those demands to both press and be on the shoulder. Um, but I just think, yeah, tactically, we're going to see what extra level of chops Frank Lampard has this year. Does that make sense? Like, we're going to see He's got all those pieces now and to make that team really be dangerous on a sustained mm. basis, like a top three, which I think they should be with that squad. They should be given the level of rebuilding everyone else is at. Mm. Chelsea should look to come third, but that is their. That's, I, I think that's minimum. I think, I, I think that's on them. I think that's on them. Um, and yeah, I, I'm just interested to see how he puts it all together. Not that he can't because God knows he played behind front threes that could do damage. He played in front twos that could do damage. You know, he played as a second striker sometimes. So I'm sure he can figure it out, but I'm interested to see what he does with it. Another weird transfer from that Leverkusen side though, is that Kevin Volland went to Monaco. 
to join up with Nico Kovac. Nico Kovac, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I do wonder whether Nico Kovac is just going to raid the Bundesliga. Let's talk about another transfer quick, though, because your beloved Manchester United have signed your beloved Donny van der Beek. I love that signing. I mean, I just love Donny van der Beek. I think it's great. And the funny thing, there's a funny thing at United where we have a player that does really well. We're like, oh, no, 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 no. But we've got, we've, we've got Greenwood. We don't need Sancho. I'm like, hang on a minute. Like, has a treble winning team in 1999 really forgotten the concept of squad depth? Where we had four, <laughs> we had four elite strikers at one time. We had four elite strikers: Solskjaer, Sheringham, York, and Cole. What would social media have done with that? Oh, let's not add a Norwegian guy. We've got Sheringham and that lot. No, no, no. It does not how it works. Well, we got them after, but still, this whole thing is strange. Like, you need Van der Beek because Fernandez was, uh, was was running on fumes. Was running on fumes at the end of the season. He was just absolutely flat out on his feet. And you need a different type of attacker. You need different options. Mm. And City just collecting midfielders. Guardiola just collecting, like, you know, just at Bayern as well. You have to stuff your team. You have to stack your team with six midfielders. It's just what you have to do. Six for three spots. Six really good midfielders for three midfield spots. It's just the standard at this point. Yeah. And he's an amazing signing. And I think as well, the great thing about him, people have said, oh, like you can't play with them all three. Why not? Why can't you play with those midfield <laughs> three? Why can't you just have Pogba <clears throat> as a DM against the team that sits really deep, right? Where the team has just not come out of the area. Put Pogba as a DM. Have um, Fernandez and Van der Beek as your two eights. And then just flood, flood the final third. Like you can do that. You can handle that. It's calm. That's how you got it all figured out, Musa. Listen. Where's my call? <laughs> if you want to hit me up, come via my Instagram DMs. Just drop me a line there. I'll check the second inbox now and again. You're going to get like one from like EWW. <laughs> yeah, numbers. Exactly. And a load of numbers. Hello, me, sir. Would like so, to be our new head of comms. So you're warming towards United. I was like, yeah, I got it all figured out. So that's Storing actually- in his old age. Um, well, he, he came off the bench the other day in the Netherlands. 1-0 win over... Poland? Poland. Yeah. And we're recording this ahead of the Netherlands' second game in the Nations League, which is against Italy. Mm. Before we move on to the Nations League itself, because I think maybe we'll cover a little bit more after the next round of games. So we'll cover a bit more on Thursday. I want to talk about Ansu Fati. So we talked about Messi in the first part of the show. Wow. And one of the things we said was that, you know, well, we said this before, that Barcelona have a couple of really good pieces in the squad, young players who you could really phase in whilst Messi was there. You don't have to blow the whole thing up. Ansu Fati has now become, well, last year, shouts to Colin Miller because I, I used his thread to put all this together. Author of a great book, by the way, about Sevilla Betis called The Frying Pan of Spain. Last year, Ansu Fati became the youngest Barcelona player in 78 years. Ansu Fati became the youngest Spain player for 84 years. He's also Barcelona's youngest ever goal scorer the youngest player ever to score an assist in a La Liga match and the youngest ever goal scorer in the Champions League. And then against the Ukraine, he's now become the youngest ever goal scorer in the history of Barcelona, Spain and the Champions League. It's astonishing. Do you know what I love about Ansu Fati? His mentality, Luis Enrique, you know, who's no, no slouch when it comes to player mentality. Luis Enrique was just saying, look, he'll have points when he has dips in form, natural is part of his learning. But he said his humility and his ability to learn is just so great. Like he's so level-headed about what's happening to him. And this is the thing, actually, like that frame, that phrase right there, what's happening to him? 
this guy has basically come in. You know, this is like, this is, I sound like a bit of a, oh my God, I'm such an old man. I was about to drop a reference there. This is like when George Michael wrote Careless Whisper at the age of 17. You're like, you know, you're, how can you write that well at that age? I was wondering age? how long we were going to. Yeah. How can you like be that good, that young? How can you, how can you be someone? Again, this is the thing with Messi, that Messi trusts with the ball. The Ricky yeah, Pooch. Oh, we've said this so yeah. much. He trusts Ansu Fati because he always gives him the ball. Right. He trusts him. He always gives him the ball. Messi's like, yeah, that guy's legit. Like that's, yeah. that's big. That's big. So like being invited to a jam session in Nashville with like, with Woody Nelson. Like, it's like, that's the one, right? Like, and he, Ansu Fati is interesting because he's so, um, we talked about overrated players before. He's underrated. Like, he's scary. Okay. Even though he's done all these incredible things, he's underrated because his peak, and I've said this before, truly great players announce themselves and their peak is nowhere in sight. You look at mm. them, you're like, seeing him dismantle Ukraine, spend beat Ukraine 4 0. He basically created the opening goal with this incredible drag back for a penalty move. It's this, and this move was yeah. so incredible. He drags the ball behind him and accelerates away and leaves the trading leg for the guy to trip him up. And the, the wild thing about that was it was like watching basketball where someone draws the foul in the act of shooting. Like mm. he drew the foul. Yeah, yeah. To be that good, to be a defender and draw the foul from him, Ramos scored a very confident penalty. And then the goal that he scored, Ansifati scored himself when he cuts it off the wing. So good, that goal. Some Del Piero type, you know, top of the box, five yards in the area and just clips it in the corner. Not too much power, just enough curve. And I just thought, and the way he ran things, like this is the thing, he's a 17-year-old winger, wide forward, orchestrating. I say wide forward because he's more integrated than a winger. He's not just out there, he's yeah. coming in, he's associating, as they call him, Barca. Associative play is great. He's orchestrating the final third. Mm. You know, much more so than Danny Olmo, who's a very fine player, but he ran the game more than Olmo did, who's a very good player, very good at Leipzig. And this guy, you know, Olmo went to the Champions League. It was, didn't look, you know, he looked good, don't get me wrong, he looked really good against Ukraine, but Fatty stood out. Did you see the hungry goal against Russia? That unbelievable team goal? No, I didn't. No, no, no. If any, I would recommend people going and having a look at this. Hungary against Russia. They, all, they lost the game 3-2, so it was, you know, didn't matter much in the end, but an unbelievable team goal. Oh my um, gosh. Best goal I saw in, the, in these round of fixtures in the Nations League. Um, but let's step back from the actual games themselves a little bit. Yeah. Because why is the Nations League happening this year? No idea. No idea. Tariq Panja, shout out to Tariq. He tweeted um, why this is happening in one of the most congested fixtures season, uh, seasons of fixtures in recent memory. Oh. I have to agree with that. It's just, there's just too much. It's like when you're, you know, in some cultures, you have to like signal that you're full. Otherwise, they'll just keep bringing food to the table. And I feel like I've, sig- I feel like I've signaled that I'm full and they just, they just keep bringing football. I'm saturated. I've had too much football. Ah, oh, but this, you have to try this. It's like, I know it's the Nations League. I really like it. It's one of my favourite dishes. I really like the I, Nations League, actually. But I've already, yeah, I've but, fed. I've, I've had the Champions yeah. League. I've had, you know. Well, I mean, is, it, is this because they, it was going to happen any, it was going to happen anyway and therefore it's important for the next round of however they plan out the Euro qualification. It just has to be some contractual thing. I mean, it would have been really cool to see them not do the, the Nations League this year. But, I mean, to be honest, stepping away from even the fixture congestion side of it, 
we're still in the middle of a pandemic here. Yeah. Cases have spiked in France, Spain, Germany. UK. They've, and the UK. Was it Spain had their single biggest daily number of cases last week and the same in France. Germany went over 2,000 for the first time since like April last week or the week before. It's calmed down a little bit here now. It's spiking all over Europe still. And you're taking a team of players who have still got to go back and test negative to fulfill league fixtures, you know, a week from now, traveling back from other countries. I find that a little bit bizarre to me. And this is actually something I wanted to raise. I don't want to kind of go super negative and, and stuff, but it was something that's been on my mind for a little bit because we were really on the fence about football returning in the first place. Yeah. We understood the need to complete the competitions that had been paused. We're starting again now. There is no competition to complete. And that to me is a little bit concerning because I don't know. I just think it's, I just think it's really bizarre personally. I think it is weird. I think, I wonder how much we've just sort of, not all of us, but to an extent we've kind of like not given up, but just got exhausted with the constant need to be on, on guard the whole time. Like, you know, I've got my masks the whole time. I wear them in public transport. I use my hand sanitizer, wash my hands, but I'm not as, what's the word, vigilant as I was certainly at the height of the lockdown. I'm not. Yeah, I don't think anyone is. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm careful. I'm careful. But in terms of like, in terms of how careful I was, like during the lockdown, I would like have my, if I went past a group of like large people, a large group of people, I'd have a mask on like straight away going through a group of people. The other day we had a leaving thing, a leaving gathering for a friend, uh, a couple of friends who were leaving the football team. And there were a bunch of us, but we weren't like super, super distant. Like it was just, so it was, and that's changed. I think, I wonder what we're seeing at the football levels, a wider reflection of society where people are like, you know, Berlin, we've had fewer cases. There's like less sort of, it's less intense the amount of warnings we're getting. But I just think generally as a, as a people, it's like the isolation was too much. Yeah, yeah. And that sounds dramatic because of course, if the outbreak is brutal and severe, the second wave, then the isolation will come back. And I think people are kind of, there's an element of like- Get it done while we can. Kind yeah, of let's get out in the sun and like kind of just breathe. It's like coming up for air. I think people are coming mm. up for air for a bit because they know that at some point they'll have to submerge again. So do you think that's what football are doing? They're just trying to get as much as much stuff fulfilled? I think so. I think there's an element of that. Yeah, the contractual stuff. Yeah, because there's like, there's all these liabilities, balance sheets, there's all the stuff that we're not aware of. There's all yeah. the stuff we're not aware of, these expenditures. Let's take a break. Let's do it. Okay, back from the break, final part of the show. The women's domestic season started, weekend just gone. And the women's Super League was back. No Rose Lavelle yet. Still, still nursing an injury. But no Rose, no cry, no problem for City. No problem for City at all. Beating Aston Villa 2-0 in the opening fixture. I did wear my Rose Lavelle t-shirt on Saturday though. They're going to be really scary when they get her. So Stanway, Georgia Stanway got both goals and both like defensive mistakes by Villa and... Mm. Who have just come up, by the way. Yeah, Sam Mewis looked really good actually. Like they're... City are scary. And it's funny, so because City won... Arsenal won 6-1 against Reading and Chelsea drew against United. Do you know what? I think this is a, I think this is a massive, massive result, this, because Huge. For, for people who are following the Women's Super League, and it is a really, really good league, I think, to, to follow because every point counts for the top three. Dude, this was a bad result. 
you know, last season the table was decided, well, the, the final table was decided on points per game ratio because there were some sides that hadn't played as many mm-hmm. games as others. But Chelsea were undefeated at the point of where the, where the season was cancelled. And in the season before, you know, Man City only lost one game but still finished seven points behind Arsenal because of draws. So it's like, it is really tight between that, that top three. Yeah. And I mean, even then, the season before last, you know, Chelsea are far stronger than they were now, but Birmingham City were only two points off Chelsea. Right. This season, I think, you know, Manchester United are in this, this is their second season in the top flight, but they're about to get Kristen Press and they're about to get Tobin Heath. <laughs> that adds a real problem for the top three because you then become, you're then becoming a bit of a four. Yeah. And this was are. a result, and this, and this is a result that proves that, like Chelsea are, widely tipped to go deep in the Champions League this season and to probably win the Women's Super League. Absolutely stacked squad. You know, we talked about it last week. They signed Penilla Harder. And to drop points on the first day of the season, I think Emma Hayes will be really unhappy about this. I think the Dude, performance was, a- was okay. Oh, yeah, but you know what it was? I, I drew a parallel with the start of Chelsea season last time against Spurs. They won 1-0 then. I think Beth England got the winner there. And a similar pattern, like slightly sluggish, the finishing wasn't the best and they could be caught on the counter mm. just because they were like, you know, working out some stuff, working out some kinks. But the challenge, the thing that, the difference between that game and this one was the way that Chelsea abandoned match control in midfield. Mm. I was very surprised by that. And I was concerned. Like the midfield is very strong. They had um, Ingle, Jisoo Young, Melly Lupholtz and Guru Wright. And that's a very strong midfield on paper, obviously. It's very strong in general. But I don't know if it was a chemistry issue but they didn't impose themselves, Chelsea. They mm. didn't. And that really surprised me. Like, start of the second half, United came out and really set about them. Well, to be honest, I don't think going away to Manchester United is a fixture that any of that top three wanted. No one wants that smoke. Reading had a physical encounter. Reading were a physical encounter, but fundamentally it's a proposition. You know what they offer, right? Mm-hmm. Villa, as you say, just came up. These are both kind of good sparring partners. Mm. But United were a brutal proposition. They were different. They were difficult last year and they're going to be even better this year. Arsenal really coming out with a statement win against Reading, uh, who <laughs> are no slouches, you know. Reading were fifth last season, only a couple of points behind United by the time the season stopped. But Viv Miedema... <laughs> finishing. <laughs> sorry, sorry. She, so she got, right. So she, I thought she was playing really well. Her yeah. first goal was lovely. It went round the keeper. Yeah, classic finish. She had a shout for a penalty that she was so unhappy about that she spent the next like 10 to 15 minutes just smashing the ball at Reading players. It was amazing. (laughs) It was so great. She was just like, fuck this. Like, like, and it was, her finisher just went completely wild for like a quarter of an hour. And then she hits this absolute, like... Heat seeker. (laughs) Heat seeker. It gets off the ground very fast and it stays high. I love angry goals so much. We need to do a thing on like, angry goals. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Can, can anyone send us? If you, if you see an angry goal in the wild that we haven't thought about or talked about, tweet us about it. Like, what's the angriest goal you've ever seen? Is there an advanced metric of like expected angry goals? Like you can measure, <laughs> you, can like, you can like measure how angry a goal is. There must be a scale. I think every great footballer needs an angry goal. Every great footballer uh, yeah. has one in their locker. I think this is almost a defining feat of greatness. If we're putting together a kind of like stadio, like a composition of the great goal, mm. there needs to be an angry one. Everyone scored an angry one at some point. Messi, his goal in 2011 was, um, was quite angry. We went by, by himself. 
Yeah. Oh, oh, wait, 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 the United one. What the um? Oh, the one against from distance, the Van der Sar one. Yeah. I was yeah. quite angry because that wasn't that when he ran over and kicked a mic as well to celebrate. <laughs> I love it when Messi gets petulant. Yeah. I love it when fact, do you know what you could do? You could do a whole piece on Messi's angry goals. Uh, we're just giving a piece away. If anyone writes that, I'm coming for you. We're coming God. for you exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've started with Messi and we're ended when we've ended with Messi. That's great though. I, like, I kind of like it. The symmetry. Well, before we wrap up, just let's quickly wrap up the Women's Super League. Yeah, let's do it. Arsenal top, Everton second, Brighton and Hove Albion are third, Manchester City fourth, Chelsea fifth, Man United sixth. While we're on women's football, um, Jasmina Schreimler um, tweeted out a really good link and the, it's the German Football League are really good at streaming the games yes. in women's, women's football. So Eintracht were playing Werder and I just put it on and I ended up just like, it was just a really good game. I think it was a 5-1 in the end to Eintracht, but that women's side is really useful. Their first season is Eintracht. They looked really good the other day, I've got to say. So shout out to Jazz for that. But like, mm. if those who are interested in like the women's Bundesliga, like they do stream the games pretty well, like online and for free. So have, just check it out. It's worth a look. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, the, yeah but like I was saying, Eintracht's first season, that's Eintracht because the um, Eintracht Frankfurt basically amalgamated them into, yeah. well, absorbed them into the club. They were Eintracht's FFC Frankfurt before that, just a women-only club. Yeah. Yeah, Frauen Bundesliga is a little bit more open this year. I think. You know, your excellent piece in The Ringer where you talk about Leon enjoying this period of dominance, but perhaps maybe the, the threats coming, I mean, they won't have it all their own way so much in the Champions League, but also that you, you pointed at Wolfsburg and the challenges they might have. They've lost, you know, some key pieces this year and they've now got a couple of injuries to start the season and the kind of the chasing pack might catch up on them more quickly than they anticipate. Mm. So yeah, definitely like some interesting movements to be watched in the Fran Bundesliga. But yeah, check out that piece. I mean, it's on your Twitter. I've shared it and it's on the Stadio one as well. But yeah, really nice piece there. Thought. Um, Thanks, man. Uh, let's get out of here. Absolutely. We'll let's be do back it. on Thursday. We'll stick a thing out for questions on the Twitter at Stadio. Don't forget, you can follow us also on Instagram at Stadio Football. Our website is stadio.football. Make sure you check therigger.com forward slash soccer. Musa should have a piece going up this week. That's right. Yep, yep. And yeah, we hope everyone's staying safe and well still. Like we said earlier, you know, there is still a pandemic going on and yeah. it can take its toll. Um, if Absolutely. you want to get in touch about anything, stadiofootball at gmail.com is our email. Unless it's something super mean, then just, I'll give you Moose's email. Just tweet Moose about <laughs> tweet it. Tweet Moose about it. <laughs> 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 uh, anything oh you want to add, Moose? Well, it's funny because as I look to my left and I sort of see a, to the left, to the left. And I see a bottle of water in my hand. I'm like, it reminds me, we must at all times stay hydrated. So please do that. There's me on the black coffee. When I was away just for like a few days and coming back to like recording, I just love the kind of setup of like, you know, my podcast, got my water. I just like it. So it's nice. Everything in its right place, you know? See that? That's a teaser. That's a teaser for my piece coming out later this week. Oh, there he There's is. There's a tease. There he is. <laughs> oh, no surprises. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, we're not playing out on Radiohead sorry but uh, yeah, we playing are playing out on Black Beatniks Ritual of Love it's the Ron Trent vocal beatdown mix it's in like a deep house anthem I haven't played out on any house stuff for ages I'm trying to trying to mix it up a little bit um, good times but yeah have a good week everyone we'll be back Thursday and uh, see you then take care
Ritual of life. 